Well, it's, it's a pleasure to be here again this morning, and um, I see that y'all came back after, <laughs> so that's a good thing. Um, it's good for me. Uh, let's see if I can go ahead and get this thing set up. Uh, I, I like the interview with um, the Scott, uh, Harold, sorry, um, John and Abby, and uh, it was really fun. The, the question as to, uh, do you have any funny stories? I think that was great. And uh, I was thinking of the time when I was in Nepal when I, when I heard that question. And when you go to Nepal, you visit people and there's always a meal. Every, you can go to 10 houses in a day and every single one of those, you have to eat a big mountain of food that they give for you, rice and dal. And uh, <laughs> when you say thank you in Nepali, it's donyabat. But more rice is derebat. <laughs> Very close to the same thing. And I remember I was in a house and I said, no, 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 thank you. I thought I was saying thank you, but I was actually saying more rice. And so they kept giving me more and more. But um, so today uh, we're going to, con what, I, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to uh, go back to Psalm 67 briefly so that we can have context. And then we're going to go to the New Testament and uh, look at the Great Commission from a number of different perspectives. And um, see if we can get this to work. There we go. Up. Oh, let me go back. Okay. So what I've done this morning is I've, um, uh, I, I like Psalm 67. The reason that I chose it last week was because it gives the big picture of all of the Bible. It goes all the way back to the beginnings as um, the, 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 the stage is being set for what happens next. We have Adam and Eve and they're turning against God, sin entering into the world. Then it leads up to Babel where man, because of his rebellion, um, is scattered with the languages. And right after that, God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and, and through you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. God is saying, I'm going to fix this sin problem. I'm going to fix all of this. And the nations from the very beginning was a part of that. Psalm 67 looks back to that. And it looks forward to the time when let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with uprightness and you guide the nations on the earth. And uh, we've already had this passage referenced twice this morning already. Joyce did it, uh, and then um, Jesse did it in the worship service. But that passage there is a reference, as we know, to Revelation 7, 9. As those things, after those things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the Lord, the throne and before the lamb, that is Jesus, clothed in white robes. They have been made holy by Jesus's redemptive work. And with palm branches in their hands, they're welcoming the king like on Palm Sunday. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, let's all say it together. Salvation belong to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. The reason that in this graphic I presented both 
uh, the Revelation passage and the Psalm passage in the same font and the same color is because it's the same thing. John is at the end of history. Uh, as Jesse mentioned earlier, he's at the end of history looking at these events as they happen. The psalmist is writing 3,000 years before, and he's right, but he knew that God is going to answer that. He, hook, he begins where he is, and the reason that I've used the different colors and the different shades is because a person that was reading this 3,000 years ago, a person that would have been singing this song, this is how they would have seen it. The focal point of the entire passage is verse 4, where, the, where it rises up. The psalmist begins where he is. It raises up to this crescendo of people and the nations praising God, and then it settles back down Back to where he is in verse 7. God blesses us so that the earth may see his glory. We are in a similar place today. We can sing Psalm 67 like we did last week. We can do it because it's something that is still in the future. But we are farther along than they were, uh, than the psalmist was. We are farther along because we have seen the way that God is going to answer. We have more revelation. Jesus himself has come. God sent his son, as we know, to the earth to live the perfect life, to die as the perfect once and for all sacrifice, and to be raised, giving us victory over sin and death and Satan. We have the victory. It has been won. So we're farther along than the psalmist was. But what is our part? What is our part? That's the question that we're going to, to answer today. A church like this, you have heard sermons on the Great Commission many times. And so today we're going to get back to the basics. Um, I have a friend, one of my best friends in Cyprus is a young man called Pablo. And uh, Pablo is, um, I met him because his mother was um, dying of cancer. His mother was called Irene. Irene in English. Irene, do you know what that means in Greek? Peace. Irene, yes. And she had the peace of the Lord. She uh, was going through the struggles of passing away from cancer. And, um, and her housemaid went to our church. And her housemaid says, you need to read the Bible. We need to pray about this. Let's get pastor to come and pray with us. And so she invited me to share the gospel with Irene, to pray with her. And, um, and Irene became a believer. She told me a few weeks before she died, she says, I think I got cancer so that I could meet Jesus before I died. She told me that. And not only that, but she wanted me to share the gospel with all of her family. So she, she arranged for me to come and all of her family was there and she wanted me to share about Jesus with them. And her son, Pablo, became a believer. And uh, Pablo, the way that we became friends first, and uh, he likes working out. He was almost obsessive about his, um, his fitness level. He would eat certain things and, um, and he always liked working out. And so when I met Pablo, um, he says, I told him, I like exercise too. And he says, well, let's go, let's go work out together sometime. I said, okay. So he shows up at my house and he brings these. And I thought, I said, Pablo, what, do you, what are these for? He said, oh, those are knee pads. We're going to be doing lunges. And I said, Okay, well, I do lunges. I don't need those. And he says, well, just bear with me. So we drove up to the top of a mountain. 
where there was, it's an industrial area. And there's this huge parking lot that was the size of a football field. And, um, and he, he gave me weights and he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do a lunge. Take one step, your knee goes to the ground, and then you come up and do a, do a curl. And then you take another step, your knee goes to the ground, and you do a curl. And I thought, this is a little bit more than what I had bargained for. <laughs> and we go all the way to the end of this huge parking lot down the hill. And I get to the end of it and I said to Pablo, I said, that has been a great workout. I am very satisfied. Thank you so much. And he said, oh, no, we're just getting warmed up. I thought, oh, no, this is not going to go well. We went all the way back up and then all the way back down and then all the way back up. And we did it for an hour an hour of this. And I was so sore, I could hardly walk for a week. <laughs> Joanna, she was like, what's wrong with you when I got home? <laughs> but I was Pablo's guinea pig. He, he since has started um, a gym. And his gym he calls Back to the Basics. And uh, he, 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 I think, realized he went a little too far with me. And he kind of dialed it back a little bit. But, um, but he's going back to the basics. Um, and um, we know, I know that you've heard many sermons about the Great Commission, so what we're going to do um, today is we're going to go through the Great Commission in the various Gospels and then in the book of Acts, and we're going to just draw things out. There's a reason that the Lord gave us Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, they all add a little bit something to the equation. So we're going to go back to the basics. We're going to look through those things from the time that Jesus uh, rose from the grave to the time that he went and ascended into heaven. Oh, got that. Um, he ascended into heaven. He appeared at various times to the disciples. And many of those times, several of those times, he communicated this commission, this idea that they needed to go out. And so that's what we are going to look at today. The Gospel of John, um, the, the, his great commission in the Gospel of John is a little bit uh, more vague uh, than it is in some of the other passages. Um, it occurs in Sunday in Jerusalem. Um, they were hiding. The disciples, Jesus had um, just been, um, been killed. Uh, he is, uh, it's a Sunday right after that happened. The disciples are afraid. They're in the room locked. And, um, and Jesus appears to them. And um, he shows them, he, they start out by showing the hands. He starts showing the hands and he shows the side, the side where the spear pierced him in the side. And the disciples, when they saw that, they rejoiced. They were happy. And uh, this reminds me a little bit of um, my wife's grandfather. When he, uh, he went to be with the Lord a few years ago, he was a Bible translator in Costa Rica. And um, before he passed away, we... Um, we had this conversation about what it was going to be like when, when, we, when he meets Jesus. And um, so I asked him, you know, are you going to cry? Are you going to hug him? What are you going to do when you meet Jesus? And, um, and he looked at me like I was crazy. He was like, I'm going to fall on my knees and I'm going to worship him. He's like, what else are you going to do? And um, I, I like that thought. But when the disciples saw Jesus, um, you know, right after they saw him, killed. They saw him raised and they rejoiced. And um, I'm sure that there will be rejoicing when we see Jesus as well. So after this encounter, he says to them, as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
John 20, the second part of verse 21. The thing that I want to point out that's a little bit unique in John, or this, the thing that John emphasizes a little bit differently than some of the other passages, is this flow that we see. As the Father sends me, so I am sending you out to the nations. That's understood. That's something that we get from the other part, uh, the other renditions of the Great Commission. And um, the thing that I like about this is it doesn't come from me. The, the, uh, the thing that I'm preaching, the thing that I'm sharing from people, it comes from God. This is his good news. It's him that is flowing through us. And it reminds me of, uh, the, of a, in Sri Lanka, they have these beautiful waterfalls up in the mountains. And there's a picture, let's see if I can get it to work, um, of one of these waterfalls. It's, it's cascading from the source and it's going down and overflowing and down and overflowing, much like the Psalm 67 illustration that I used last week of the filtration system in Nepal. The water overflows and it goes down. It's not meant for us to hoard. It's meant for us, for the, for us to be a channel of blessing to the nations. John has this idea and he articulates it in several places in his gospel. In chapter 15, he says, I am the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me. And he goes on to say, bear fruit. So this idea that we are um, a channel of blessing to the nation. In the book of Luke, the Great Commission occurs in Jerusalem as well. And it, and it happens right after a, a, an incident that's famous. There are two disciples, two people that are following Jesus, Cleopas and another person, and they're going on the road to Emmaus. That's right. They're on the road to Emmaus, and they, they're sad because Jesus has just been killed. And, um, and Jesus appears to them, and they don't understand it's him. And, um, and he explains, no, this has to happen. The Old Testament talks all about this. All of these things had to happen. And it's, it was part of the plan from the very beginning. And um, they, when they begin, when they arrive in Emmaus, they break bread. All of a sudden they understand that it's Jesus. And they're so excited, they run back to Jerusalem, seven miles. The road to Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem. They run all the way back and they tell the disciples, guess what happened? We saw Jesus. And as they're telling him the story, he appears to them. And when he appears to them, he says, guys, I told you this would happen. These things had, I told you myself, the scriptures in the Old Testament had to be fulfilled. It was the plan from the beginning. It was written that the Christ had to suffer and be raised again from the dead on the third day. Why? That the... And that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. The thing that I want to draw out from this passage, it, it almost sounds like a cliche. We've heard it a thousand times. And, and, and um, like in some branches of the church where they, where they are doing these chanting and it, and it becomes disconnected from what the understanding is. Uh, we sometimes can talk about the gospel. We've heard it so many times. Um, it, it just is, it's like rote memory. But I want to 
emphasize the fact that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. I have been told by people in, who are missionaries in the Muslim world that this idea of sin, it's a Western concept. It's, um, it's just because you grew up in America that you say this whole sin is a big problem. By missionaries, I've heard that. It's not something that we can take for granted anymore. I was talking to a missionary, someone who wants to go over, overseas and serve in a Muslim country, and they were telling me that my idea about sin, that, um, that it was, it's overblown because I grew up in America. And this is not the case at all. The idea of a, the holiness of God is something that is a theme throughout Scripture. Isaiah, as he is brought into the throne room of God, he sees the train of God and all of his splendor and all of his glory. And his response was not, man, this is beautiful. His response, remember, it was, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I am a sinner. And God's holiness is in stark contrast for our, from our sin. We need for their we need to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. We are separated from God because we have turned against him. This is a fundamental part and we cannot take it for granted anymore. In the society that we grow up in or in, in America here, people are getting away from that fundamental truth. And so I just want to encourage us um, not to forget that. When... When I go to Israel, the thing that I love to see is the things that are takeaways for me are like the Mount of Olives. I love that place. I love Galilee. My wife wanted me to take her to Israel um, for her birthday a few years ago, so we went on her birthday. And, uh, and she loves the Sea of Galilee. We like Masada. Uh, I took a group of people from India and Sri Lanka to visit our churches in Israel. And um, I asked them at the end of the trip, what is your takeaway? What is the thing that you remember the most about our trip? And this is what they remember. Do any of you recognize what this is? This is um, in what archaeologists believe is Caiaphas' house, the high priest, right? So Jesus was brought there, he was beaten, and then he was put in a dungeon. And this is the entrance to the dungeon. It's about 20 feet or so up, and now you can walk down. They've made stairs to go down there. But at the time that Jesus was there, would have been there, um, there were no stairs. The way that you got, you were um, put into the dungeon is they put you on a rope, and they lowered you down like this, into this deep, dark place. And you can feel I mean, it's, it's just lonely. You can imagine Jesus being down there. All of his friends are abandoned. And um, the thing that resonated every single one of the um, Asian people that I was there with, what they said was, my sin put Jesus there. My sin. That was part of his suffering. We know that his suffering was the, the nails through the hands, but we don't think of the, he was abandoned. He was put in the lowest place. And, the, and we know that God the Father turned his face from him. But, um, but the reason that he was there was because of our sin. And we don't ever need to forget that. Thank goodness, though, that's not the end of the story. So we have, um, we have the John passage, the Luke passage. Now we're going to go to one of the big ones, the, one of the famous ones that we've heard sermons on 
every year probably, um, the Matthew passage. This one occurs in a different place. The first two were in Jerusalem. This Matthew passage is in Galilee. Jesus told the disciples to go to a mountain or a, a mount where I will tell you and, um, and then I will meet you there. And so they, they go up to the mountain where Jesus designated uh, and um, Jesus appears to them and it says they worshiped him. They worshiped him like Agile, um, my wife's grandfather, when he saw Jesus, when he, I, I'm sure that he did exactly what he told me to do. He dropped to his knees and he worshiped. But the disciples worshiped and an, an interesting thing that we're not going to talk a lot about, it says, but some were doubtful, which is kind of an interesting, that um, is a very <laughs> interesting thing. Um, the Matthew passage is more complete, I think, than any of the other passages. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and um, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The thing that I want to point out about this that's a little bit unique is this, uh, the reference to the disciple. Go and make disciples of all nations. And um, at our church, Hope Church, we're doing a, we're, we're emphasizing discipleships, D discipleship, Young, uh, men, groups of men of three or four getting together and going deep with each other, accountability, scripture study, encouragement, iron sharpening iron. Um, and I love it. Uh, I love it. And I like that one of the big things about the Matthew passage that I'm fond about is we get a definition of what it means to make a disciple. It says make disciples and then it tells us what that means. Uh, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So being a disciple, I think sometimes uh, when I talk to people and I say, well, um, are you a Christian? Or if that comes up, they'll say, well, I asked Jesus into my heart. Um, and it was, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But I think that um, we sometimes can think, or some people ha have a tendency to reduce Christianity or becoming a Christian to a checkbox. I did that. I asked Jesus into my heart. And then they go live however they want to. We know that's not the way. But this passage emphasizes that. To follow Jesus, to be a Christian, it means that there is obedience. Obedience. And this is a big deal. There was a shift in my ministry when I was overseas where I was preaching before um, about we did... We went through some of the Gospels, um, but there was a big shift. We had a sin issue where a person was living in open, unrepentant sin. And I started evaluating my preaching. Am I, doing, am I preaching the wrong thing? Am I not uh, uh, emphasizing what it means to be a, a believer? And what the Lord showed me was that I needed to emphasize obedience. I needed to emphasize obedience. And... Um, and it, it revolutionized the ministry. You started seeing fruit. You started seeing people come to the Lord more and more. And for the people in our church, they were from Nepal, majority Nepal, Sri Lanka, and India. For them, the thing that kept them from um, becoming a Christian was baptism. 
It's kind of an interesting, we talk about obedience. For them, it's baptism. Uh, most of the people in our church, they, uh, they were in some crisis. We helped them out of their crisis. We rescued them and they felt a sense of obligation to come to the church. They didn't want to because they were Hindu or Buddhist or whatever. And they would come just because they felt like they needed to. And at first they would walk through the doors a little bit suspicious. And by the end of the, the day, the church there is all day. It started at eight. It, we went home 10 o'clock at night, you know, something like that. Nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. It was all day. By the end of the day, they would say to me, almost every single person that had this, that, that came through the church, it was like this. They would say, pastor, there's love here. There is love here. I've never been in a place like this. This is special. And, um, and I'd say, okay, yeah. There is love here. We, we hope that that's what you feel because there is love. God's love is here. And then a few weeks later, um, they would call their parents and their parents would say, don't go to church. Whatever you do, don't go to church. But they, they'd start going to church. And, um, and, and after the parents lost that battle, they would say, okay, you can go to church, but don't pray in Jesus' name. We don't want you praying to God. We want you to pray into Ganesh or some other you know, false god. And, um, and they would say, ah, maybe. And so they would start and they would, a few weeks after they'd come, they would say, Pastor, I'm pray, praying in Jesus' name. I'm praying in Jesus' name. And, uh, and then after that, a few weeks later, the parents would say, okay, fine, you can pray in Jesus' name, but whatever you do, don't get baptized. Don't get baptized because that means you're no longer Hindu. That means you're a Christian. You're publicly identifying yourself as a believer. And, um, and this was a big deal. Because many of the people that came to the Lord in those churches, they, they would have issues with their fiance that would break off their marriage. You know, all of their, fam their family would be brought to shame. These were arranged marriages that the families were involved with. And um, this is just one example of a young lady. And uh, she said, she came to me. Normally we did baptisms in June, but in November when it's cold, <laughs> the end of November, she says, Pastor, I need to get baptized. And I said, well, you know, we have the June. Um, she says, Pastor, I know she, she was trusting in Jesus. She was believing in him for forgiveness of her sins. We'd seen fruit in her life. And she says, I need to be baptized. It's a, and she says, it's, it's obedience. God says to do it. I need to be obedient. I said, well, your fiance? And she says, God, this is the truth. I have to follow what the truth says. And so we went out there. Normally the Mediterranean is like a lake. It's, it's, but in November, there's storms. She can't swim. We get there. Everybody's there. And, um, and I said, now look, I know you're, you know, you don't have to do this if you don't. No, no, I have to do this. This is obedience. And God rewards obedience. Where there's obedience, the Lord rewards that. And part of the reason the gospel is growing, I've been a part, I've seen God working all over the Middle East, all over Asia, but no place is he working more intensely. No place are people coming to the Lord in greater numbers than in Nepal. And it's because of a simple, well, God says it, I'm going to obey. And, um, and so there's, there's that. So 
Um, the passage in Mark, so we've got, we've done the Luke, the John, and the Matthew. Mark is a little bit um, different. It's, it's uh, at the end of chapter 16. It was probably added by a scribe later, and it's probably a reiteration of some of the, um, some of the other passages, a synthesis of some of, um, of, of possibly Matthew, uh, depending on what your view on uh, the order, which was first Matthew or Mark. Um, and he said to him, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the creation, the whole creation. Whoever believes and baptized is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not will be condemned. People, the thing that Mark emphasizes, the thing that jumps out to me is the fact this is a life or death thing. There is a sense of urgency here. Uh, and it's not, it's, you know, there's a sense of urgency. This is God's truth. To say that it's life or death is actually an understatement. It's an eternal life and an eternal death thing. Barna Group, I don't know if you've heard of the Barna Group. They're a website. They have good articles about evangelism. They, they do surveys. They have statistics. on. Uh, and one, uh, a few months ago, they did a survey on opinions related to evangelism. And um, two of the questions I thought were very interesting. Uh, this, is, this one, it was actually divided in different age, uh, age groups, different generations. Um, and one of the questions was, the best thing, do you agree or disagree? The best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. And 94% of, this is millennials, 94% of millennials said, of course, these are Christian people. I don't know where the other 6% were. <laughs> I mean, maybe they were not paying attention or something. But um, it's hard to get 100% of people to agree on really anything. Uh, but then they ask a follow-up question. True or false? Do you agree or disagree? It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share that same faith. 47% agreed with that. Does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense to me either. Um, outside of the fact that the world is influencing our young people. They're changing, they're, they're moving the ball. Postmodernism and this idea that there's no such thing as right or wrong has infiltrated the thinking of all of the media for sure. It's influenced the thing. Every major non-Christian influence is saying, who are you to say that you have exclusive hold on the truth, that you know what truth is and we don't? Um, and they're making it socially taboo for us to share the gospel, but we should never allow this to be or to enter into our thinking. One of the places I like to go to exercise is Harbison. And um, how many... Uh, you've got mountain biking. I know, I know Paul goes out there. Zoe, you too. Awesome. Do you? Okay. Well, there's this trail. Um, there's tra I like to go out there. I actually prepare my sermons out there. I practice. I prepare before and then I go out there and I preach to the trees. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so um, if, if you ever hear reports of a crazy person talking to himself in Harbison National Forest, that would be me. Um, so one time I was out there when I first moved back. Um, to the States. And this was the trail here. It's called the Firebreak Trail. 
And um, it started becoming a little bit cloudy. And I thought, I thought, I need to pull up my radar. And so I pulled up the radar on my phone and um, there was a line of thunderstorms coming my way. And I was walking before that and I was way on the other side of the trail, several miles away from where my car was. And the wind starts getting more and more, it gets darker. And, um, and so this is a chart of the red line is my heart rate, okay? And the blue line is how long it took me to run, to, to go a mile. It went from about 10 minutes a mile to about six minutes a mile. But, and can you see the point at which I had a sense of urgency? Can you see it? It's clear right there where the heart rate is down here and boom, it went up. I felt a sense of urgency. And people, the good news of the gospel, we should have a sense of urgency. We shouldn't be... Um, we, should, we, we shouldn't be distracted. This is what God has called us to do. I know this church is very good about it. I know that you, you do this, but, um, but I just want to encourage us. We need to have a sense of urgency. I love English Corners. I love the, ch the fact that I'm able to share the gospel there, the good news with people. Um, and, but, but don't let it stop there. Continue on. The last passage is Acts, in, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. We know this one. This is the famous, the great commission. It happens on the Mount of Olives, one of my pl favorite places in the world. And um, it's just before the ascension. Jesus says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the, the earth. One of the things that I've learned um, that we learned overseas was that new believers are the ones that are the best evangelists. I, I mean, there are people that are gifted with that, but new believers are the ones that are excited about what God's done to them. And uh, I, I know I'm getting a little bit short on time, but um, I just want to quickly wrap up here. Um, we I co-directed, co-founded a mission to Yemen, and we did television programs. We, we made, um, while I was there, we made 54 television programs that were broadcast in the Middle East in Arabic. And uh, we made, this is the album cover of an audio CD. We made Christian music videos that were in Yemeni Arabic. Uh, and um, and one, of the, one of the men uh, that worked on one of these projects, uh, I was taking him after the project was over, um, to the airport. And, um, and I, I said, so Joanne and I actually both took him to the airport. I said, how'd you come to the Lord? And he said, well, I was in Yemen and um, I, it, it maybe sounds crazy. I was in Yemen, but I looked outside and Jesus was standing there. He saw Jesus. This, this happens in a country like Yemen. Um, there's no missionaries. Um, there's, there's one man I know that may or may not be in the country right now that is, you know, a missionary in the way that we think of it. The Lord works in that way sometimes. And you hear stories about this. But, um, and, and I said, well, what did he say to you? And he says, he says, well, he didn't say anything. And I said, well, how'd you know it was Jesus? And he said, he said, oh, I knew it was Jesus. And, and I told him, I said, um, I said, now, so what'd you do? It was late at night. And uh, I said, well, what'd you do? He said, 
Um, I went and got baptized. <laughs> it was like, a, what do you think I did? I went and got baptized. But, um, but this, this man was so excited about the gospel, he goes out in Yemen and is telling everybody about Jesus. So he gets thrown in jail. And he's in jail. While he's in jail, um, you've got... <laughs> um, Al-Qaeda controls a good portion of, of Yemen. So you've got the Houthi. There's been a war since 2012 that control much of the places where people live. And then you've got the main city down in the south on the western side. But the rest of the country is kind of wilderness and Al-Qaeda controls it. So he's in jail with Al-Qaeda and they come to him and they say, hey, what are you in here for? And he, and he says, I don't want any, this guy, he's not, he's not a manly man. He's kind of a, you know, a scholar type. He's a, an intellectual. And, uh, and, and he says, look, I don't want any trouble. And they say, no, we want you to tell us why you're in here. And, um, and he says, okay, fine. I'll tell you, but remember, you asked me. You asked me this question. And so in Yemen, in the jail, you have Al-Qaeda surrounding this guy, and he's sharing the gospel. He explained the gospel to the people, the new believers. And, and all he did was share what God had done with him. He was being a witness. And that's all that we are called to do. We're not going to argue anybody to the Lord. We need to know, uh, um, I, we need to understand concepts so that we can give an answer to people. But you're not going to argue them. But what you can show is what God has done in your life. And that's what I did with Olga, the, the woman that, um, that Joyce was referencing when I was talking to the Lord, about the Lord to her. So... After Jesus gives the Great Commission in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he moves on. He goes, ascends into heaven. And as they're looking up, the angels come and say, Men of Galilee, why, did you, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go to heaven. The last morning, the first time I was in Israel, the last morning I got up really early, really early. And uh, I wanted to see the sunrise over the Mount of Olives. And um, this is a picture from, this is actually in the daytime, but you can see the Mount of Olives is that white mountain. It's white because there's, it's the biggest cemetery in the world. And the reason that it's the biggest cemetery is because in the book of Zechariah, it says, on that day, his feet, the, the feet of the Messiah, will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem. So they know he's going to come. They know, they know there's going to be a resurrection, and they want to be first in line. So they pay big money to, to go there. Uh, but I got up early in the morning because I wanted to see this. That's the Mount of Olives. That's the sun rising. In Malachi the prophet, the last book of the New Testament or the Old Testament, it says, For behold, the day is coming. It's burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evil doers will be stubble. The day is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But then he says this But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. God is going to set things straight. There will be a time when people from every tribe, tongue, and nation 
is there praising him. And we have the wonderful opportunity of participating in that. Amen.